Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hey, old friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the podcast. I am Chris Ferry. And I'm Chris Huddleston. And today we are very, very excited to be talking to you about the movie Drive. If I drive for you, you give me a time and a place. I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes and I'm yours, no matter what. I don't sit in while you're running it down. I don't carry a gun. I drive. So you just moved to LA? No, I've been here for a while. What do you do? I drive for movies. Is that dangerous? It's only part-time. You put this kid behind the wheel. There's nothing he can't do. Kid, I want you to meet Mr. Bernie Rose. My hands are a little dirty. So am I. My husband's coming home. Where is he? He's in prison. There's some guys that want me to do a job for him, and I'm not going to do it. What is that you got there? One of those men gave you that? What's the job? When you get your money, his debt's paid. You never go near his family again. <gasps> Did you have any idea there'd be a second car? He said there'd be another car to hold us up. Whose money do I have? I'm gonna tell you something. Anybody finds out we're both dead. That's why this driver's gotta go, Bernie. He's gotta go. Any dreams you have or plans for your future, I think you're going to have to put that on hold. For the rest of your life, you're going to be looking over your shoulder. All right. Um, wow. Uh, I, I am really excited to talk about this. Chris, why don't you give us the synopsis? All right. So this is another short and sweet one, but it, it I think it sets it up pretty well. A mysterious Hollywood stuntman and mechanic moonlights as a getaway driver and finds himself in trouble when he helps out his neighbor in this action drama. Oh, yeah. There it is. Um, I loved it. Uh, but you go first. Sure. So uh, wh- the first thing that I would say is if you have not seen this movie, just watch it. Cause it's fantastic. Yeah. We'll skip uh, right to the end. Two thumbs up. Both of us. Highly yeah. Recommend. We're not going to, we're not going to be coy with, with this one. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a fantastic movie. Um, so I watched this last night with my brother-in-law. I'd, I had been, uh, I've been telling him about this movie for years and for whatever reason could never get him to watch it. And we watched it last night and he loved it. I, this is, I did not see this in the theater. I saw it, originally you know when it came out whatever streaming or whatever and i've i've watched this three or four times i think um prior to this ryan gosling was one of those actors that i thought i didn't like Mm. because you know he was in the notebook and he seemed to do uh romantic comedies and just things that I wasn't interested in. And I thought, Oh, this is, this is not a guy that I like. And then I watched this and he's fantastic in this movie. He, um, he does not have a name. He is just referred to as driver. You're, you're never, his name is never given. He barely speaks in this movie. Um, the direction, so it's the director is uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. He's done some other uh, interesting movies that you know we could get into a little bit. Yeah, the his direction is fantastic. Uh, the script is great. This was based on a book. I'm I'm not familiar with the book, but um, there are several actors that this was kind of earlier in their in their career. Uh, Oscar Isaac, who went on you know, to be a big star in star Wars. 
He's great. I, I didn't know him. Did you prior to this movie? Were you familiar with him? I think I had seen Sucker Punch. Okay. Did that predate this? I feel like I believe so. This. Yeah. Um, but he was so electrifying in that, and I recognize him now, movie to movie. But I don't think I put it together that the husband was the same guy from that other movie. And now, mm-hmm. of course, in Ex Machina, I mean, his whole resume, I feel like I've seen a lot of those movies, and he does just such interesting work. Um, mm-hmm. He bridges the gap between a movie star and an actor for me because he's got, the camera loves him, and he's electrifying on screen, but he's also got, he makes choices and he does character stuff too that I think is really terrific. Anyway. So I, to, to set it up a little bit more, I guess. So uh, uh, it is Ryan Gosling is this, this guy who's a driver. He's, he's a stunt man, but he also drives a, a getaway car. And his thing is he gives the people five minutes and he just sits and waits in the car. He doesn't carry a gun, anything like that. He lives in this apartment building, and his neighbor is Carrie Mulligan, another uh, another actor that, you know, this was pretty early in her career. Yep. She has a little boy, and uh, her husband is Oscar Isaac, who is in prison. And basically, uh, the driver and Carrie Mulligan, her name's Irene, they start to fall for each other, and then... Uh, Oscar Isaac then is released from prison. He owes some money to some guys and some bad guys, and they're uh, going to do this. They're going to rob this place so he can pay off the debt to them. Uh, The driver agrees to help him and be the driver and everything goes sideways. And, you know, and then that's kind of the rest of the movie is him, uh, trying to deal with these, these people you have, uh, also you have Ron Perlman in this yep. as a, uh, this mob guy, basically you have, uh, Albert Brooks yeah. as the bad guy. And I've never I mean, seen him in a role like this. It's so great that casting. And he got a gold, he had a golden Glo- globe nomination. It's a shame that he wasn't nominated for an Oscar, but everybody in this, the acting is fantastic. The direction, uh, it's stylized in some ways, but, but, you know, more realistic in other ways. Um, this is kind of one of these movies that is, is, is close to a perfect movie to me. There's so um, much to talk about. I mean, everything yeah. you're ticking off. I ha- there was a shot. The, whoever did the cinematography in this too, like the way that these shots are framed up and the color and it landed on me, something that a, um, a director friend of mine was talking about in terms of cinematography is texture on screen. You know, you think, Oh, light and dark, of course, because you're painting with light, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and color and composition of the frame. But he was like, you know, a lot of, a lot of times people haven't, you don't get the sense that they've paid any attention to texture on the screen, right? And you think of like right. Van Gogh painting, or Van Gogh, or however you say his name, where there's all that paint. And so it's, yes, it's pretty swirls of color, but that he used so much paint that there's a three-dimensional element to it. There's a literal texture to the image. And there's one scene where he's talking to her and... You know, from his shirt to the light coming into the window to all the color choices to the sweater she's wearing, it to the wallpaper. It's this old kind of velvet wallpaper that's faded and has a pattern on it. There's so much texture, and it's all so clearly deliberate, but it doesn't feel ham-handed. It doesn't feel preachy. or de- It just f- feels very carefully curated and chosen. And yeah. so it's not just the dialogue or the performance. It's also the image they're choosing to show you and have created. It creates um, a visceral feeling watching the movie. It's 
really remarkable. And it makes me think of uh, Sergio Leone's movies in yes. that way. It, you know, it, the, 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 it makes me think of The Godfather in that way, that there's just, it's gorgeous to look at that. And, and, and it's a great story and great performances and great directing. And mm-hmm. all of those things, like, I know I'm totally mixing up all of my metaphors here, but that's kind of what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is it's like when you eat a really delicious meal and the look of it and the smell of it and the texture of it when you take a bite and how the flavors all unfold and the sweet and the hot and the fat and the acid and the, all of it mixes together and takes his, it's just, it's a great movie to watch. And, and on top of all that, it's not a super complicated movie. No. Like it's not, we talked about Dune. It's not some hugely Baroque epic of all of these. It's pretty simple. It's a guy, he falls for a girl. It's not crazy fraught. You know, you the, the situation is totally plausible. There aren't even any fireworks. It's not like they hop right into bed, you know. We'll get to mm-hmm. the kiss scene, but it, it's not even hot and heavy. It's just like he had... He sort of sees her. There's a spark. He kind of resists it because he's a loner. And then there they are in the grocery store by accident, which is a typical meat cute. But mm-hmm. he resists it again. And then she shows up at his garage. And, you know, he's got kind of a jackass friend manager that is Brian Cranston. Yeah, Brian. And he's fantastic. <laughs> really interesting performance for him. Yeah. Uh, and who kind of gooses along. He's like, come on, what are we doing here? You do. You give her a ride home. Right? So he forces it. And on the way home, they have this kind of wonderful day out where the young boy who's maybe, what, five or six, mm-hmm. you know, they just have a great time. Just nothing. Just driving and going down by, um, you know, the river and, and picking up rocks and sticks and talking and laughing. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're all kind of sun-soaked and the little boy's falling asleep. And it's just a magical, wonderful day that's completely earnest and there's no like canned one-liners you know but and then and then when he finds out that she's married and her husband's in prison it's this crushing moment in the car like he calls and says he's getting out and she tells him right away but it broke my heart i'm like no i mean Mm -hmm. i so want these two to be together and be happy that is hard to do in a movie that is hard to achieve where you get the audience on board that quickly and that profoundly and it just proves to me that you don't need you know it doesn't need to be set in some crazy setting or some crazy circumstance it's just slice of life boy meets girl it's amazing and the whole movie achieves that with pretty simple pretty simple plot moves i think what do you agree with that oh sure yeah yeah, on definitely. Paper, it's a fairly simple movie, and there's some action, and there's some gunplay that I think is the most. The gunplay doesn't feel. Sometimes, you know, it's not too fast, too furious. It's a driving no, movie, no. and there's some exciting driving sequences, but it's not like he drives his car out of a building and then into the side of another building. You know, there's a car chase that's really pulse quickening. There's a couple. Um, and there's some gunplay that is pulse quickening, but it doesn't feel contrived. No, no, not at all. And I, I think it's interesting what you said that it um, it kind of is shot like a Sergio Leone movie. I think also his character is is a spaghetti western character. Yes. You know, he's very much like those characters that Clint Eastwood played. The man because with no name. Yeah. Again, yeah, perfect. He's right just driver. In his mouth. Yeah. And, and he's just driver. He doesn't have a name. And you know? There's a, there's a lot of homage in this that yeah. doesn't hit it over the head, right? Mm-hmm. There's a ton of homage in this. Um, I love the husband, Oscar Isaac's character's name. The husband is Standard. Yeah. Right? And there she's there's a dinner table scene where it's all of them. You know, he has a jealous confrontation with um driver in the hallway being like oh I, I hear you were really nice to my wife and my son you know and he's just like oh, yeah that's right I mean he's not taking the bait but it ends up as they get more enmeshed 
that they're at dinner and it's the husband and wife and the, the boy and the guest from down the hall driver. And they tell the story of when they met and Oscar Isaac's character is always trying to sort of stake his territory and define that I'm the husband and I'm back and I'm here. Right. Cause he senses it. Cause of course, and so he says, when we met, you know, he introduced himself at a party, introduced himself to her. I'm standard, whatever his last name is. And she said, um, you know, where's the deluxe model? Yeah. Right? And you yeah. and, and it's a kind of a forced joke like it. That's that doesn't roll off the tongue, you know, but the performances sell it. And then you realize, oh, he is the deluxe model, right? Because it's a movie about cars and drivers, right? And so you've got mm-hmm. the standard, and, and now she's met the deluxe model. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. it's just, it's all on their faces, and it's all between the lines, and it's all in the directing and the performances. And that is a big, like, red, blue, green crayon script thing, but it works in the movie. And then you get this wonderful realization a moment later, and you're like, oh, but it doesn't hit you over the head. Like, get it? I, I, it's just, it's a really, really well done film. The execution is brilliant. I didn't, Ryan Gosling was not a guy that was really, uh, I don't know that I'd even ever seen him in anything before. I know he had done successful movies. Mm-hmm. But this might have been the first thing, and that certainly smashed him out of my radar. I was like, oh, sure, yeah. The camera loves that guy, mm-hmm. and he does a lot of work without having to say anything. And what I love about it is this is sort of different than Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac tells you stories with his face and his performance, right? He shows you the choices he's made as an actor, and this is not a criticism. I respect him enormously, and in fact, it's it's what the kind of work I aspire to do is like you make choices and then you show the audience those choices in your performance, right? And Ryan Gosling kind of doesn't do that. He keeps his cards real close to his vest. And I feel like he was doing this in Blade Runner uh, 2049 also. And then Adelis, I, I got to learn how to pronounce his last name. Vil, villain. Uh, Den- Dennis v- Villain. Now I'm Villeneuve. I don't know. Villeneuve, I'm, yeah. I'm a moron. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I and I feel like he want he I, I felt the director kind of asking him to give a little more, like show me a little more, like mm-hmm. show me if you're doing those three things, I want to see A and then B and then C, or in this shot I want you to give me A and then the next shot you can give me B and C instead of just letting it all live behind your eyes. This movie lets it all live behind his eyes, so he's remains a mysterious character like he seems like a genuinely sweet guy but he also is capable of pretty intense brutality and it never gets spoken of it just gets Mm -hmm. observed and And, you know i think something that's interesting and something i think that's interesting with that i was thinking about you know you never so yeah like you said there are some I think people that who would be listening to this podcast who've listened to our other episodes, this this movie is going to be right up their alley. But there are some really graphic, graphically violent scenes in this, and I and I thinking of like my parents would think this is the worst movie they'd ever seen, you know, because yeah. of because of those scenes. But really, you know, worst. so I, I mean, maybe not, but uh, this this would not be a movie that they would be into because of the 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 violence. Um, well, I mean, dread, I think dread was more graphically violent than this. True, but, true. Yeah. Yeah. The scenes where, it, because it, it balances, I think the scenes in which it happens, there's one shot where Christina Hendricks gets, um, I mean, okay. So spoiler alerts, if you haven't seen the movie, we're going to, yeah, she's, it, she's so. another big actress who's in so it. So if you, know? you really want to go into this, you please turn this off and go watch the movie and then come back because we're, I'm, I want to, I want to pick it right all apart down to the bone. So mm-hmm. Here's your chance. Ready? And okay, you missed your chance. So she gets her head blown off with a shotgun and they do it in slow-mo and you're like, oh my God. I mean, that is intense. And then there's another scene, the one in the elevator where he caves a guy's, he just stomps, a, caves in his skull. And yeah. you don't see, they don't show 
the caving in, but the, the, all of the brutality is there in the performance. And it's certainly reflected, you know, it's witnessed by the girlfriend and it's sort of the last time they see each other. And you can see it on her face that it's sort of a deal breaker. Like I realizing that this guy has that kind of depth of violence and brutality yeah. in him for as sweet as he is most of the time is terrifying. Right. Um, and you know, the thing is you never, as the viewer, you never, in my feeling, you never lose him as as looking at him as like the hero. It's not like a, you never feel like he's a psychopath or a sociopath or something like nope. that. He's he's not a Joe Pesci nope. in a Scorsese movie where it's like somebody might look at him the wrong way and then he's going to beat the you know beat them to death or whatever. Everything that he does in this movie, he's very violent, but it's all self preservation. You know, it's basically like. I've got to kill this person so he doesn't kill me. And, you know, there's a scene where he's in a diner and a guy comes over to him and says, Hey, I'm, you know, whatever his name is. Yeah. You helped, you know, me and my brother or whatever, you know, with, and he looks we, at the we guy. Did a and, job that one time. Right? Yeah. He's like, remember that? Diner, you know. He just sits down. And he's like, so I got another thing going on. Go and ahead. he's, and he says something like, you know, if you say one more word to me, I'm going to kick your teeth down your throat or something like that, you know? And it's basically just like, and he's serious. This, yeah. And it's basically like, this doesn't, ex you know, you don't exist because, you know, you could get me in trouble or get me killed or whatever, right. you know? So yeah. everything that he does, you don't ever get the feeling that like he would ever uh, snap and, and hit, Irene or something like that. You know, he's not, he doesn't seem to be that he's, he's, he's essentially a good, a good guy who a sweet person really. We yeah. What's so wonderful with, with the woman and her son is the sweetness. Like you, you almost get the sense that he's never, never experienced love before. There's something very childlike and innocent about him in some ways that he's highly proficient at the thing that he does, which is drive cars. Mm -hmm. and, and early on, we see him do a job with some people that have paid him to be their driver. And it's a really exciting scene. You know, the cops are looking for him. There's a helicopter and he knows all the tricks and it's, it's really delivers as an exciting, you know, hook to the movie. Um, and then you're sort of delighted to find out that, this guy's like a sweetheart, you know, and he's just full of love and genuine with the kid. He's not forcing it, you know, and, and then, but you, then you realize also that when he's pushed to it, he is capable of these things, but it, right. you're right. Like Joe Pesci's characters are just, um, you know, M 80s waiting to go off. Yeah. And it, you never feel like he's like that, that he could just snap at any moment. You know, everything no, I mean, that he, he does, he has to do. He's attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're going to, if, if he doesn't kill them, right. You know, they're, they're going to kill him. And it's interesting, you know, what you said there about that, um, you know, maybe he's never really experienced love before he calls her at the very end and, and basically thanks her and says that, um, you know, the, the time that they spent together was the greatest time of his life. And it's only, what a few days and yeah. maybe a few weeks or something yeah. and that you know it's a very short short time frame but you know that's a that's a heartbreaking uh scene where you know where he calls her but his back to his performance a little bit you know like i said he he doesn't have much dialogue he's most of the movie he's he seems pretty much emotionless like the scene where she tells him that the she so they go out and she had gotten a phone call before they left and she says that is my husband's lawyer he's getting out you know whenever the next day or in a few days or whatever and he doesn't say anything they just sit there in silence and there's you a lot of scenes in, you see it in his eyes though yeah like they, it's you a do long shot of driving in silence and you can tell that he is heartbroken right but it's funny there there are several times in the movie where people say things to him like there's he meets up with Albert Brooks and Albert Brooks says something to him and he just sits there and doesn't it just looks at him and doesn't say anything and there's times in it where 
I think in real life, a person would probably say, are, are you going to say anything? Right. And, but they just kind of fill in the, the empty space. You know what I mean? Yeah, he like just sits so there and Albert Brooks just starts talking like nobody. So brilliant that it's yeah. Albert Brooks. Cause remember in taxi driver, when Travis Bickle comes into the campaign, whatever, and Albert Brooks is the master of like uncomfortable blabbermouth. Yeah. So Travis Bickle's the character that doesn't talk, right? And he's like, oh, you know, what, what, how are you doing? Like, I, I don't know that you can come in here with that. It was, he mm-hmm. just keeps, when he's uncomfortable, he just runs at the mouth. So to cast him in a character that is high status, that's not afraid of anybody, right? Mm-hmm. He's not, like, what do you do when you take this kind of mob figure who does whatever he wants and literally kills people in the movie without batting a lie and you face him with an uncomfortable silence. And Albert Brooks does just keep talking. Yeah. But he never loses. It doesn't make him a lower status character. You know, he just kind of faced with this guy that doesn't talk back. He just kind of fills the silence and he's like, okay. And he just walks away eventually. <laughs> yeah. And he's, his performance is great. And his character is, is very interesting because He's this really scary guy, but he's also likable. You know, he, he, uh, you know, he's at times he's, uh, he's nice to Brian. So Brian Cranston, uh, you know, borrows money from him and they're going to be business partners basically. And, you know, you, you, you get the feeling that he genuinely likes, uh, Brian Cranston and, uh, he kills him at the end and there's a scene where you see Albert Brooks sitting there after he's killed him. And, uh, well, and even he, he just takes a, he just pulls out a knife and just slices down through, uh, Brian Cranston's arm. And he says, he's like, it's going to be over real fast. There's no pain, you know? So it's almost like, again, he's this kind of sadistic guy, but, he he appears to have some affection for Brian Cranston, and then well, later yeah, yeah. you see he, him sitting in his in his home, and he just looks down at his hands, and you can tell that he feels he feels bad that he that he killed him. So you know what I mean? He's a he's a complex character. Yeah, where he's not just like he's a cartoon right. villain that's just a hundred percent evil. You know? Well, he's a psychopath, right? But. Uh, but not the kind of psychopath we're used to seeing certainly in mob roles um, on screen because he is, I I would, I would beg to differ. I don't, I don't think he's sadistic at all. I think he is um, ruthless. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Unflinching and unhesitating. And he kills at least two people um, with a knife and he tries to kill driver with a knife in, 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 in just remarkably unflinchingly, unhesitatingly brutal ways. Um, but he does seem to genuinely care about the Brian Cranston character. Right. And not want to do it. Like mm-hmm. he does it in a way that to him feels like as compassionately as possible. He like looks him in the eye. And there's no fudging around about, you know, they both know why he's there. And he doesn't deny it and they don't dwell on it. And he's not like rubbing salt in anyone's wounds or, you know, a lot of psychopaths kind of play with their food before. They, right. You know, and he's not that at all. He's like, you know, I was getting really excited about this. Like he's just trying to kind of close the chapter in a way that's like you, you sense that the character feels like he's honest and respectful. And then when he yeah. surprises him by opening his, the vein in his arm with a straight razor, Right away. Yeah, you're right. Right away. He's like, there, it's done. It's over. No pain. It's it's over. It's done. That, yeah. He, no more. No more. You know, that's all. It's it's done. And, you know, because Cranston immediately goes into shock and it's just kind of like, there, there, you know, I just, I, I got rip the bandaid off, you know, and, and you really get that that's as close to a gesture of love as this person is capable of. And that's a really interesting and complicated psychopath. Sure. <laughs> you know? It's really a psychopath that as much as he's capable of cares about another person. <laughs> you know, and and there's an old there's an old adage in writing that um 
that no one no one believes that they're a villain. Everybody thinks that they're the good guy. You know, in real life, people are somebody like that in real life would just be like, well, this is what I had to do, you know. Um, and and I I think that's interesting that they 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 really paint his character as. And I think it's it was smart that they cast somebody uh like albert brooks who is has always been this really likable guy you know and funny Um, i mean yeah i'm funny i think of comic you know sure sure yeah yeah he's not particularly funny in this role although no he does put his own particular spin on certain lines that i think make it much richer you know, and, uh, and and talking about Ron Perlman, too, like, there's just long, lingering shots. That guy looks like an Easter Island statue. Like, <laughs> that's a good, that's a good uh, casting. Casting yeah. him as Hellboy is perfect casting. That's perfect. You almost don't need any prostheses on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie, the camera just lingers on his face. There's There's one scene where he kind of breaks into a big, genuine smile, and... Even his teeth look like horse teeth. I mean, he's just the most remarkable. It looks like something Hanson Studios would have come up with. Yeah. And, you know, he is a messed up character. Like, he is sort of angry and self-defeating. And it's a rich performance. Um, There's not much likable about the character. No. And, you know, Ron Perlman is a a really likable, um, you know, Ron... Perlman, the man, is is a really likable uh, and charismatic guy. But yeah, like you said, in in this, he's just kind of like a big ape or something. You know what I mean? And, and dangerous, and, and dangerous, and a loose yeah. cannon, and just and and clearly unhappy and angry as a person. Um, arguably, I mean, he's partners with the with the other guy. So with Albert Brooks. Yeah. yeah, Who doesn't, you can argue that he's kind of psychopathic too, but he's much more disorganized and sort of a loose cannon. Things uh, there's an accidental overlap. Um, and that, that brings everyone into conflict and Mm -hmm. nobody, nobody really wanted it that way because it sort of destroys a bunch of plans people had going on, but it just ends like Camlet. It just ends with a pile of bodies. Like, yeah, nobody can walk away from it once it's happened, and, uh, and that's kind of—it's just this quintessential tragic thing. Like it's just senseless. Like, oh man, if it was just the dumb luck that the this one heist and maybe two thousand. There's a whole monologue about there's like two thousand heists a year in the city, and you just got involved in the one wrong one that put us all at odds instead of being allies. And once we've all figured out what happened, we're all in it too deep. And now, you know, these guys think that everybody else has to go. And those guys think that you have to go. And it's just, everybody starts killing everybody else. Mm-hmm. That's a great movie, man. I, there is a scene. I just, the shot for shot. I could pick apart. I wish this was a visual podcast because I pull up screenshots of this. Look at the composition of that shot. It's so great. Well, let's talk about, well, let's talk about that elevator scene. Yeah. 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 Cause that's one of the most stylized scenes in the movie. Yeah. So he, uh, there's a scene where he and, uh, Irene are going to, get on the elevator in their building and there's a man already on the elevator. They step on and after they step in the elevator, Ryan Gosling looks over and you can see a gun in this guy's jacket pocket. So, you know, he realizes this guy is is there to kill him. And after he sees that, the lighting changes in the elevator. It goes to almost like a spotlight above them. And so you get almost this kind of old fashioned, you know, maybe like fifties or sixties movie sort of look to it. Yeah. Noir kind of thing. And then it goes to slow motion. It's very stylized. He pushes her aside and then kisses her. 
So yeah, he's it's like he's standing in front of the buttons on the left side of the doors. The assassin is standing to the right side of the doors, parallel with Ryan Gosling. And she is sort of between the two in more in the back of the elevator. He glances over, clocks the guy's piece in his, you know, holster inside his jacket. Mm-hmm. And then the lights change and it kind of goes, he reaches his right arm back, you know, diagonally. It's a strange gesture because it doesn't feel entirely natural. This, this whole thing sort of becomes very stylized. He reaches his right arm back to her right elbow, right across her body, and just sort of gently, you know, moves her over into the corner behind him. It's a strange position, right? And then he turns and he kisses her for the only time in the movie. They have not. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I I believe they never kissed prior to that. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, he's been respectful of the fact that she's married. Mm -hmm. There really hasn't it. This all is quite a compressed time frame and it's a passionate kiss. um, Full of feeling and the lights in the elevator have changed dramatically. Yeah. So it creates a world around them in this one moment. And, you know, she responds. She's she's into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's probably 30 seconds. It kind of goes on. Like yeah. he, it's, it's a moment that they both uh, give themselves fully to. And it takes the time that it takes which is a fair amount of time on screen. And it's beautifully shot. Yep. It's a fantastic, you know. It's a beautiful, beautiful kiss on screen. And then, um, I don't exactly remember how they transition out of it. Does he just turn and face front again and the lights come back up? I think so, yeah. And almost as soon as he is face front again, he sort of turns his head and the other guy turns his head simultaneously and as and then the guy goes for his gun and his jacket mm-hmm. and Ryan Gosling kind of grabs him and smashes his head against the wall. And from there, it's quite fast paced. And Ryan Gosling gets him on the ground and is kicking him in the head and then stomping and just basically stomps the guy's skull in. Yeah. And the, the doors open and she is shocked and she sort of stumbles off the elevator. Um, in the basement where the cars are and he's standing there leaning over the guy panting and looks up and they have a moment where their eyes meet and this sort of unwritten you know he sees that she has seen what he's done and and he sees that she's processing it and the look on her face there's just so much going on non-verbally and and then the doors kind of automatically close and he doesn't move to get off the elevator and I think that's the last time they see each other. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And so the question is when the lighting changes and he kisses her, was that real? Is that an indication to the viewer that this is fantasy, that, that part? And I, I'm going to say yes. That yeah, is. that's how I feel as well. Whether or not it is in his mind or both of their minds is sort of beside the point because the idea that they're in this elevator with an assassin that he's made and who's just playing it cool for the right moment to kill mm-hmm. both of these. Two. It's like, well, I'll wait, I'll wait till they're ki- done yeah, kissing exactly. before there's I kill, not, kill there, there's, they, yeah. they, they would, couldn't possibly get more vulnerable than mm-hmm. that moment. And so I think that, you know, the director was like, well, we got to have this scene but it's not realistic to let them have a real realized kiss. Mm-hmm. But I want them to consummate their feelings for each other in that way. So we're going to do, we're going to get both. We're going to have our cake and eat it too. And we're going to give ourselves sort of a fantasy moment. And then we'll resume with the realistic thing, which was that a killer would try to kill him. Yeah. And, and there's no other time in the movie that I felt that it was that everything wasn't a hundred percent literal. You know, that's the, that's the only part of the movie that I, I, you know, that is sort of surreal in any way. Well, you know, I I agree with, 
I know where you're going with that, and I'm not going to dispute that. There are definitely times when they've used slow-mo before mm-hmm. in the movie, but that also feels like, you know, that sense that when stuff gets crazy, you get that sense that time sort of slows down. So there are elements of, quote-unquote, surrealness that they've brought into play before. And then when he when he goes after Ron Perlman's character, uh, he puts on, like, as a stunt driver for movies... He wears these kind of latex uh, face masks that are really weird looking, <laughs> really otherworldly looking. I mean, it's a it's a person, but when he's wearing it and you're looking him dead in the eye, it's deliberately strange. That and mask that he wore, I, I thought looked like Tom Cruise. You know, I thought it looked. It, I I thought that was all very deliberate too. That it was sort of an amalgam of like. Tom Cruise and The Rock or Vin mm-hmm. Diesel because it was bald. It was right. clearly supposed to look like the star of some movie that he okay. was a stunt driver for. Yeah. But not distractingly a specific A-list actor we would recognize. It mm-hmm. was supposed to clearly be a mask of some A-list star of the movie that he was driving as a stunt driver in. You know? But what you do get a long, good look at that mask, and him in it is is creepy and strange. Yeah, it's weird. So I feel like it, it does get into the surreal when he goes down on the beach after Ron Perlman. That's true, yeah. Um, and he's sort of standing there taking the guy in, and Ron Perlman's looking like, what am I looking at here? What mm-hmm. is happening? Who is this guy? Um. There are other, I guess my point is just that there are other surreal element notes to the movie, but that is the one place where it seems to sort of slip into an alternate reality purely within the mind of the character. And I think part of the reason why it's muddy is it's not a movie that indulges in that, except for that one place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. One thing that was funny to me in the movie, uh, when he kills the guy in the elevator, he has this, this jacket that he wears with a scorpion on the back yeah. of it. Yeah. And he wears it all throughout the movie. There's a, he wears a, a jean jacket other times, but most of the time he has the scorpion jacket on. And I said to my brother-in-law, I said, you know, you can, they sell those. You can buy replicas of those, of that jacket. And he goes, yeah, but nobody else is going to look like him in it. And I was like, that's yeah, that's true. a good point. That's I said, you know, there's probably like chubby guys, you know, like walking around with, with that jacket or whatever, but he kills the guy, you know, as you said, he just stomps his head in. So there's blood all over his jacket yeah. and he wears it for the rest of the movie. Yeah, you know, there's another nice. half hour or something like that with just goes, blood on him. The Chinese restaurant. To, yeah. To, you know, and he, I was waiting for Albert Brooks to say like, it looks like he just murdered somebody in that jacket. Yeah. Smeared with blood. Yeah. I was waiting for Albert Brooks to say like, you know, Jesus, there's blood all over your jacket, you know, but uh, that was one of those things that was definitely a, you know, somebody walking around in real life with blood all over them. Somebody would probably be like, Hey, you know, there's blood on you. You know, that, that was one of those funny things. It just Mm -hmm. occurred to me when you were talking about the, the symbol, that's another, that's another on the nose symbolism thing. Doesn't he have a speech about the scorpion? He does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and he's, who's the scorpion? Do you think, is it the guy with the scorpion uh, in gold and brighter on the back of his jacket? Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, and when they're down by the river, they find these little claws that are like scorpion claws. They're just like finding neat stuff by the water. And it's so he's done as a director. Oh, actually, I'm going to stop that thought for a minute because I actually saw this movie with Tom Seymour. Okay. In the movie theater. And, you know, I didn't know much about it. We didn't know, you know, he's like, he, he had heard of the director and heard that he did interesting stuff. And he's like, you want to go see this thing? And I was like, yeah, sure. So um, we went and watched it. And I remember that when that title sequence came on with that pink script writing, mm-hmm. right? I, I turned and looked at Tom just in like, this is already in this title sequence. This is amazing. Like, are yeah. you seeing this? There is a whole movement um, that maybe we can talk about some of some of the other films um, that sort of glorify the 80s. And um, I don't know enough about it to sort of give a lecture on, but it's it's definitely from one of the sort of um, 
Norwegian or, or Netherlandic countries is where it's sort of based. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and it's a bunch of filmmakers that make movies that are modern movies that celebrate elements of 80s filmmaking. A lot of synth in the soundtrack, a lot of neon. Right. A lot, lot of, like, the early in the movie, he's driving around and there's a helicopter shot kind of prowling over the city following his car. That is a very 80s shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, you know, some of them are very um, camp, deliberately. Like, they're a, a real, almost a drag show of, like, oh, this is an 80s movie. Don't you love the 80s? You know, and and those are super fun. This is not that. This is a serious movie, but it really draws. It's another, when I talk about homage, it's another layer of the homage. Because it's not really set. No, it's modern day or it's 2011. I feel like it's set in, you know, 1980. Because they're using cell phones and, you know. But the filmmaking, the filmmaking pulls a lot of uh, elements. You know, it's a love letter in some ways to so many different things. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, he, in this movie, and um, we can uh, maybe not delve too much into it in case we might want to talk about one of his other movies, but uh, at some point, but, um, you know, he's, uh, people get, you know, people are always wanting to say, you know, so-and-so is the next, Kubrick or, you know, today's Kubrick, but he, the one thing that I would say that this is kind of like a, a Kubrick film is that everything seems so deliberate in it. Like you were saying, everything's so well thought out. It, it doesn't ever really seem like anything uh, in this, you know, was an accident or, or, or arbitrary or exactly. Like, know, yeah. Whatever, put him over there by the fridge. No, it's all very, everything's a choice. Right. Um, but have, have you seen any of, of his other movies, the director's other movies? Yeah. Let me real quick. It's Reffin, right? I don't know how yeah. to say his last name. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, Nicholas Winding Reffin, I think is. I want to look up his filmography. We're, we're almost out of time here. So, okay, sure. We did watch Tom and I watched some of his early stuff. Yeah, he has Danish. the one where the, he has the one where it's like Vikings or something like that, yeah. which I've not seen. Oh, he got best director at Cannes when he uh, when he premiered this. Oh, okay, not bad. That's out of the IMDb. He did Only God Forgives two years later, which which uh, Gosling is in that as well, which I have not seen that one. You know, yeah, I haven't seen that either. Um, the neon, demon. the neon demon is very weird. It's much more surreal than this. It's a movie that I like. It's it's incredibly stylized. It's it's you know there's, uh, it's about these models, um, and uh, but it's a it's more of like a techno soundtrack and things. But it's it's a you should watch it sometime. It's a, it's it's much less narrative than what this is. It's like I say, it's much more about the the style. But it's it's a fantastic looking movie, but much more weird than this is. You know, I I'm wrong. I have seen Only God Forgives. It was crazy. Oh, okay, yeah, I want to see that one sometime. And then he I, did this this series called Too Old to Die Young, which I don't know if that was on Netflix or. Amazon or what, but I remember seeing something about it and it was in 2019 and, uh, but I didn't realize it was, uh, Refn who did it. And now I want to watch it. Interesting. It's just a 10 episode series. Um, only God forgives and you know, neon demon that makes sense, but it's almost like only God forgives is like derive. I'm probably because of Ryan Gosling. Um, on a hit of acid or something. Oh, okay. Like the color is so saturated and the violence is goosed up. Mm. It know? wasn't and, nearly as well received. I talked to some 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 people that I know that who really like Drive were like, I didn't like Only God Forgives as much. I don't but, think it's as accessible. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is at its heart. This is really, I don't know if you'd call it a thriller or it, 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 it successfully navigates a number of different genres. It's definitely um, exciting and there's drama to it. But I think at its heart, what really stays with me is a love story. You know, and like noir, there's a love relationship that anchors, excuse me, anchors it. Uh, but then there's, you know, it gets rough and tumble um, and people get hurt. And, yeah. you know, there's bad guys and good guys. And they, they love what happened, except that's not the kind of cloth we're cut from. You know, it's, <laughs> just, uh, it's of that tradition. Um, so I think drive is accessible because it feels familiar in all those ways. Whereas only God forgives is a, is a much more um, stylized action, strange, violent. Mm-hmm. And neon demon looks just from the picture. looks like it might even go deeper into that territory. Yeah. It's very, uh, it has, um, Keanu Reeves in a, in a strange role in it. It's a, you should watch it sometime. It's it like I say, it's a very, very weird movie, but it's, uh, just it, the way it's shot is amazing. Right. I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, we're kind of out of time for this show. So, I mean, I already said at the top, highly recommended. Yeah. This is anybody who hasn't seen this. I mean, this has a big cult following. Um, but it, it's a great, it's a great movie. Awesome. Well, you know, I we were going to watch uh, Wild at Heart, um, and I couldn't find it streaming online. So, And I don't have a Blu-ray player. I would order the Blu-ray, but we're definitely somewhere down the road. If it's not next week, it's sometime. we got to watch and talk about Wild at Heart, because I, believe it or not, have not seen that film. Yeah, that's, that's when I really want to talk about that one. That'll be a fun one. Um, But for next time, we'll have to put our heads together as we usually do off screen. And and until then, have fun. Go check out Drive if you haven't seen it. Hey, go revisit it. I just watched it again last night and do not regret it. And we will um, see you next time.